step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to iHeartRadio Communities, a public affairs special focusing on the biggest issues impacting you this week. Here's Ryan Gorman. Thanks so much for joining us here on iHeartRadio Communities. I'm Ryan Gorman, and we have a few very important conversations lined up for you. We'll hear from two mothers who both lost children, one to the flu and the other to suicide. Those tragedies led both to take action by raising awareness for the issue that impacted their family. So while the reasons their children died are different, their spirit turning loss into action are very similar and inspiring. And we start with Elisa Kanowitz, a founder and board member for Families Fighting Flu, which you can learn more about at familiesfightingflu.org. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. And before we get into the work your organization does, I was hoping to start with your personal story, the loss of your four-year-old daughter, Amanda, to the flu. Okay, well, our daughter, Amanda, was a happy, healthy beautiful, fun-loving little girl in New York City. But one weekend, she caught what we thought was an ordinary virus. She was never very sick. She never had a high fever. Uh, first day, she had a cough and a low fever. The next day, she started vomiting. Um, by that night, she didn't look good. So we called the pediatrician, um, and she told us that there were a bunch of viruses going around uh, with very similar symptoms, and that we could just make sure that Amanda stayed hydrated, um, which we did. But the very next morning, I found Amanda lifeless in her bed. Mm. And at four years old, kids get sick. I'm sure at the time, like you kind of alluded to, didn't really think much of it, right? Right. I mean, it seemed like it was just an average virus or, you know, what back then we would call the flu because anytime anybody gets a cold or a stomach bug, everyone just calls it the flu. So we probably called it the flu, but we actually didn't know that it was influenza until after the autopsy came back. So what was that like as you were trying to learn how in the world your four-year-old daughter uh, died within 48 hours of becoming ill? It was beyond comprehension for us and everybody around us. You know, everybody had the same reaction, including us. What do you mean? What do you mean she died from the flu? People don't die from the flu. You know, we didn't realize, we never could imagine that it could be such a serious illness. And it is. We learned the hard way. And that's why we decided to found the organization Families Fighting Flu with some other families who unfortunately had similar experiences. You know, so that way we raise awareness that it's not just the flu. And, um, you know, the most effective ways of, present, of preventing it are really um, by giving an annual flu vaccine. And at the time that Amanda died, um, the flu shot was not recommended for her age group. 
Um, you know, but because she wasn't vaccinated, her body didn't know how to respond when it got the flu. So now, fortunately, flu vaccines are recommended annually for everyone six months of age and older. And we are entering flu season right now, which is why it's so important that everyone hear your story and Amanda's story. We're joined here on iHeartRadio Communities by Elisa Kanowitz, a board member for Families Fighting Flu. You can learn more about this organization and the work they do at familiesfightingflu.org. So it sounds like prior to this awful tragedy involving your four-year-old, you, like I'm sure a lot of people, just didn't know that the flu could be deadly to a four-year-old, right? We had no idea And that's why I'm here today. You know, I honor Amanda's life by sharing her story and trying to save others. Now, if we can help spare even one other family from experiencing the pain that we've gone through, we owe it to the world. You know, as you mentioned, we had no idea that the flu could be so serious. But if it happened to us, it can happen to anyone. So I'm begging your audience, please, please, please help protect your families from influenza. Speak to your healthcare provider or pharmacist about getting a vaccine. What strikes me about the story, too, is the speed at which it all happened. Uh, by now, and I think a lot of this came out during the pandemic when COVID-19 was being compared to the flu and we were hearing about these flu season death totals that I think took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, I didn't realize it could happen that fast, though, within 48 hours. I mean, that that is really quick. It was mind-blowing. It really was. To go, you know, one day from just having a cough and next day vomiting, and the next day she was gone, it's just unfathomable. And what did doctors tell you about the impact that the flu had on her at four years old. I'm just wondering if that might hit home with some listening in terms of uh, the impact that it can have on the body of a younger child if they get it and aren't able to deal with it or aren't vaccinated. Well, that's a really good question. That was one of the reasons that we really stayed motivated at Families Fighting Flu. Um, when Amanda died, this was back in the day of dial-up internet. Remember, this is almost 20 years ago. And I spoke over the phone to so many of the top experts around the country. And so many of them said to me, we're not surprised. Kids' immune systems are not fully developed before age five. And that was why we really pushed at first to get the flu vaccine recommendations pushed up to age five. Um, Previously, it had only been recommended for kids up to 24 months. That was ages six to 24 months. Um, Then they increased it up to five years. Then they ultimately raised it to 18 and then everybody. I'm Ryan Gorman here on iHeartRadio Communities with Elisa Kanowitz, board member for Families Fighting Flu. You can learn more about the work that they do at familiesfightingflu.org. And she's telling us about her four-year-old daughter, Amanda Kanowitz's um, tragic death due to the flu. I always get my flu shot every year because I I got the flu uh, back when I was in college and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced then or since then, just in terms of being completely down for the count for an extended period of time. So what you're saying about a young child's immune system not being able to handle something like that, uh, it it makes sense. Oh, 
Oh, I agree. I mean, I've had it. I had it that year, and I felt like I was hit by a truck. Yeah. And I was really not fully recovered for a good couple of weeks. Now, when you decided to put together this organization to create Families Fighting Flu, talk a little bit more about how that came together. Um, well, we got together with a bunch of other families, basically through word of mouth. It was friends of a friend of a friend. And a bunch of us came together and we worked with a PR agency and um, like us, most people were not taking influenza very seriously. You know, you think, oh, it's just the flu. I don't need to worry about getting a vaccine for that. And we, once we learned that the flu vaccine was the single most effective way to protect your family, we all came together and we just were committed to um, really raising the awareness. So um, we've worked together and unfortunately... Um, our organization now includes over 80 families who've had children mm. hospitalized or lost to complications from influenza. And then we're very happy to work with um, organizations that um, organizations and companies that also support our same mission, which is just to protect families. And I'm very happy to be here today um, with BSK, who is sponsoring an initiative called Blue is a Family Affair. Um, they have a great website, blueisafamilyaffair.com, um, where people can learn more because I know that sometimes people do have questions about flu shots and flu vaccines, which is understandable. Um, you know, anytime it comes to putting something in your body or, you know, your children, people are very curious and, you know, want more information. But um, it's very important that people speak to their healthcare providers or pharmacists um, to get personalized information in addition. I'm Ryan Gorman, joined by Alisa Kanowitz, a board member for Families Fighting Flu, which you can learn more about at familiesfightingflu.org. You have a lot of great resources on the website, including information on flu prevention, flu treatment, uh, flu vaccine facts, and some emergency warning signs, which could potentially help those who think they might be coming down with the flu now that we're in flu season. Yeah, we've, we've really worked hard to put together um, a very strong resource, you know, for anybody who needs it. We also um, just want everybody to know that we're there for other families. You know, when Amanda died, I felt very, very alone until I was able to connect with some other families. Um, you know, the good news is that there aren't that many families impacted each year, um, but it's very isolating and very lonely and um, whatnot when you do need to go through it. So as an organization, that's our secondary purpose to be there for families in need. You have a section called Family Flu Stories, and I'm wondering, and, and you certainly don't have to give out any names here, but is there a story that you've come across, a family you've connected with whose situation stands out to you, really hit home for whatever reason? You know what? There are so many families, um, and it's been a variety of um, of circumstances. Some, you know, passed away like Amanda. Um, then we do have some, um, like Maddie Allen, who survived. She's um, fortunately a success story, but 
Um, she was in the hospital for nearly three months, and to this day, she still has to deal with um, some of the consequences of her illness. She just had to have part of her lung removed, for instance. Um, there's also, um, we have another survivor. His name is Nate Cornington, and he is now a member of our junior board. Um, we started a junior board about a year ago, and um, for several reasons. First of all, because we felt that, um, let's be real, a lot of teen- a lot of teenagers don't want to listen to the people their parents age. Right. Um, so we felt like, you know, it was better to get the message teen to teen or, you know, peer to peer. Um, but Nate actually suffered from the flu and had been in the hospital himself when he was younger. So, um, you know, it's a combination. But, I mean, there are, you know, so many stories on our site. And, um, you know, it just lets everybody know that it could happen to anybody, unfortunately. And final question for you, for those who want to help support your organization, Families Fighting Flu, or maybe they want to get involved somehow. Maybe there's a family listening right now who has sadly been through what you went through with Amanda Kanowitz, and they want to connect with other families. Uh, how would you recommend they go about getting involved with your organization in one of those ways? Oh, we would love it. Um, just go through our website, through the contact us page, and we will be very. Um, Unfortunately, um, we're sad about the circumstances, but um, we are here for you. Alisa. FamiliesFightingFlu.org. Alisa Kanowitz, a founding member of Families Fighting Flu and a current board member here with us to talk about her four-year-old, Amanda Kanowitz, who sadly passed away due to the flu. But uh, Alisa, the work that you've done with this organization and getting the word out about the seriousness of the flu, it's really important. And we thank you for that. Again, everyone can find out more and support the work they do at familiesfightingflu.org. Alisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me and for helping us share our story. All right. I'm Ryan Gorman here on iHeartRadio Communities. And now let's bring in our next guest. We're joined by Kristen Bride, a social media reform advocate. She's with us to discuss the Kids Online Safety Act Day of Action, which is coming up this Wednesday. Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Now, before we get to that and the bipartisan legislation you're working to pass, tell us about your personal connection to this issue, the loss of your son to suicide following relentless cyberbullying. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Yes, we lost our 16-year-old son, Carson, to suicide in June 2020 after he was viciously cyberbullied over anonymous apps that were on the back end of Snapchat. Um, We were cautious with technology with our kids. We waited until Carson was in eighth grade to give him his first cell phone. It was an old iPhone with no app. But by the time he got to high school, he was begging for Snapchat because that was the way all the kids were connecting. We made sure that he had an anonymous, or it was made sure that he had a private account. Mm-hmm. Um, as parents, what we didn't know was that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Snapchat had allowed these two startup companies on their back end um, that allowed kids to anonymously message each other. And when we look at the history of anonymous apps, these apps have always led to cyberbullying and a suicide, and then they shut down, and then a new one comes out. Um, after he ended his life, we found out that he had received hundreds of harassing, humiliating, and threatening messages from his Snapchat friends who mm. were his high school mates. Um, the last search on his phone was for hacks to find out who was tormenting him. Um, he never found out, and he died helpless, hopeless, and humiliated. Um, after his death, I reached out to YOLO, um, one of the anonymous apps that promoted that they would um, monitor for cyberbullying and reveal the identities of those who do so and ban them from the app. When I did, did that, I was ignored four times and that's when I had to file a national class action lawsuit against Snapchat, YOLO, and LMK to get their attention. And as a result, um, shortly after filing the lawsuit, those two apps were um, banned from Snapchat. But unfortunately, it was too late for my son. Um, But with that win, very quickly, a new anonymous app, not going to lie, hit the market, and they're charging kids for useless hints as to who's messaging them. So it's never ending, and that's why I have turned to social media reform advocacy and specifically advocating for the Kids Online Safety Act. And we're going to get into exactly what this act would do. It's a bipartisan bill, but I want to make sure that especially parents listening can take your experience and perhaps help them with a situation they may be dealing with or a situation they may not even realize is unfolding with their children. What was it that you were experiencing with your son, Carson, leading up to that fateful day when he committed suicide? Were there any warning signs that you can tell us about? No, and this is going to be frightening to parents. He had just gotten his first job making pizzas. He had worked so hard to get it. He came home that night, wrote his upcoming work schedule on their kitchen calendar, and we celebrated his success. It was a great night. And while we were sleeping, he hung himself in our garage. Um, There was no warning um, at all. And what we found out is that he was quietly trying to deal with these hundreds of messages from his peers. And this is really typical. Only 10% of kids report to parents when they're being cyberbullied because they feel like they can handle it. They don't want to be considered a snitch. They don't want their phones that they're so addicted to to be taken away from them. And so there wasn't, he was not a kid that was laying in bed um, you know, and there was there were signs all over the place. It came from 
nowhere. We're joined by Kristen Bride, a social media reform advocate, talking about the death of her 16-year-old son following cyberbullying. We're going to get to a piece of legislation that would help address some of these issues. It's called the Kids Online Safety Act. You can learn more about it at passcosa.org. That's passkosa.org. The cyberbullying component this is what seems to be much different from when you or I were in school. There was bullying back then, but it started and ended during those school hours. Usually now it's this onslaught, and it certainly sounds like that was the case with your son. I mean, hundreds of messages. Uh, that just sounds overwhelming for younger people. Yeah, yeah, it, they can't escape it. Um, this happened to be when um, COVID was happening. So this was his only communication, which is, and again, he knew this was coming from his high school classmates. He asked them to swipe up and identify themselves so they could talk things out in person, but no one ever did. And he reached out to close friends to ask them if they knew who was doing this to him. And taking a look at the rise in social media, the growth of it among younger people, and the suicide rates for kids and young adults ages 10 to 24, uh, from 2007 to 2018, that increased by nearly 60%. And uh, you just have to figure there's got to be a correlation there. Yes, the rates of anxiety, depression, loneliness, there's skyrocketing among youth, and the majority of mental health experts agree that social media is fanning the flames of this epidemic. You know, one thing that comes up during this discussion sometimes is a focus on the parents. And what I think is enlightening about your story is, I honestly don't know what you could have done. You, you didn't even know what was going on. Right, right. We had no way of knowing that Snapchat had allowed these apps on their back end. We talked to our kids. And, you know, like many of the parents that I advocate with who have lost their children to other social media harms, we all were those parents that were on top of it. And, um, and, and every parent knows that they have a responsibility to manage their kids' social media use. But it's an unfair fight. Yeah. And, you know, person's story is an example of that. We did all the right things, yet this still happened to us. I'm Ryan Gorman, joined by Kristen Bride, a social media reform advocate. This coming Wednesday, November 8th, is the Kids Online Safety Act Day of Action. And let's talk about COSA, the Kids Online Safety Act. Tell us about this bipartisan piece of legislation and how, if it were in place back before your son, Carson, took his own life, how it could have helped. Uh, yes, the, the Kids Online Safety Act is a bipartisan piece of legislation that places the health and well-being of children above the profits of social media companies. And so it puts responsible safeguards in place to keep our kids safer online um, while protecting private information and disabling addictive features on the site. 
One of the things that's most important to me about this bill is that it requires these companies to have a duty of care to young users. And that's defined as um, they need to prevent harms like depression, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, addiction, bullying, sexual exploitation, and the sale of illicit drugs to minors. I think that's pretty reasonable of an ask. And um, as far as um, if we use my example, if COSA was in place, these companies knew that if you market anonymous apps and features to teens, it very quickly leads to cyberbullying and suicide. And so if they're required to prevent bullying, this would be a business model that they would not have allowed on their back end. Um, and so I, I do think that Carson would still be alive if COSA was in place. But I also want to make the point about the other harm that would be prevented. It's really important for parents to understand that this harmful information, like the eating disorders and the suicidal ideation, they are not being searched by kids. These are kids who are looking up content, like fitness tips. And then it very quickly turns into disordered eating content on their For You feed, or inspirational quotes turns into suicidal ideation content. So I think parents need to be aware that this is part of their business model to keep kids engaged. The darker they go with these for you feeds, the more they keep kids online, the more they're collecting data, and the more they're profiting from the sale to advertisement advertisers of this data. And so I, I think that, you know, Many parents may not realize this. this. This information is being fed to the children. You can very quickly go down a rabbit hole without even realizing it on social media. And and I want to also focus as part of the Kids Online Safety Act. And again, everyone can learn more about this piece of legislation and take some action. We'll get to more on that in a moment at PassCosa.org. That's Pass, P-A-S-S. K-O-S-A dot org, the transparency aspect of this, providing people like you, Kristen, with the tools to be able to do something. It sounds like that was a big part of this. And, and even in the aftermath, when you would think a company, uh, after learning that a 16-year-old took their own life because of something that was going on within their social media platform, you would think that they would want to do everything to help the family who is grieving over that loss. Uh, that wasn't the case, but this bill would help with some of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, it would allow parents to um, have the, and, and kids, to have the safest settings by default. They could opt out of manipulative algorithms so that when they search for something, they're getting what they search for, not the harmful content in the For You feed. They can disable the endless scroll that keeps kids on for hours and hours. Um, and then there also is a part of this bill that requires annual and independent auditing 
of these companies, like many other industries. Um, the other thing that is so important to me is that, like I said, when I reached out four times to this company asking them to follow their own stated policies, I was ignored. There is a requirement that these companies need to respond to parents and to kids in crisis. There are always going to be online uh, issues and problems, and I can't tell you how many parents call me and they tell me that my kid is on suicide watch because something that is going viral um, that that is not part of their community guidelines um, is harming my child. I reach out to the company and I get ignored. So that is something that these companies will be required to do, which will help so many people and school systems that also have to deal with a lot of this online drama. And finally, for everyone listening who wants to take action this coming Wednesday, November 8th, the Kids Online Safety Act Day of Action, or any day really to support this cause and push for this legislation to get passed in Congress and signed by the president, uh, what are the steps they can take? You can learn more about COSA on the website that you mentioned, passcosa.org. Or you can directly call your U.S. state senators and ask them to support COSA. Currently, we have 48 bipartisan co-sponsors, nearly half the Senate, and we are gaining more each week. So ask your senator to continue to support COSA or to support COSA. Um, If you know that they already do, then um, thank them for doing so. But we need to apply pressure to Congress so we can get this bill, which passed unanimously out of the Commerce Committee, to the Senate floor by the end of the year. Kristen Bride, social media reform advocate with us to talk about the upcoming Kids Online Safety Act Day of Action. It's this Wednesday, November 8th. You can learn more about this issue and the legislation we've been talking about at PassCosa.org. That's P-A-S-S-K-O-S-A.org. Kristen, I want to thank you so much for taking a few minutes to come on the show and for the tremendous work you're doing on this issue. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Ryan. All right. And that's going to do it for this edition of iHeartRadio Communities. As we wrap things up, I want to offer a big thanks to both of our guests and, of course, to all of you for listening. If you want to hear previous episodes of this show, we're on your iHeartRadio app. Just search for iHeartRadio Communities. I'm your host, Ryan Gorman. We'll talk to you again real soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.